the Bulls have three seconds to try a shot and try to win the game. This is the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Coming to you from the betting deck. Don't believe what I just saw. Here are your hosts. Jenks! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Hey, Notebook Wagering here. Wednesday night edition. Live from the Salisbury Center. Fueled by Monster Energy. I am Smitty. Man, it's two guys tonight. Only two guys here, but we're going to try to do our best. I got the man right now. I got to ask Jason. He has the Pittsburgh Pirate hat on right now. How's the parades up there right now? Because they're four and two. Is it really busy around the city right now? It is not. But Friday is the home opener. I expect a full parade like Cincinnati. We're going to revert to that mode. Whole city is going to shut down. You know, we're going to give people off. Uh, Turns out they were off anyway. But. Hey, I'm going to enjoy the hats on because they've earned it. They went up and swept the Boston Red Sox. Uh, you, as a Pirates fan, you have to take these high times because this might be the high point of the season. It might be all downhill from here, so we're just going to enjoy it. The team's playing well. They're playing hard. Like A lot of good things from the young rotation, so I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to rock the hat at least for a week until – we get back to reality. What do you think about the team so far? Oh, I love it so far. I mean, you walk around the neighborhood a little bit more pumped up. Um, four and two, great win today. I mean, we'll talk baseball here a little bit. Uh, but no, uh, the other guys are off tonight. We have a great guest, just a great packed action. Again, we got, you know, we're going to recap college um, basketball. Then we got uh, major league baseball. And then we're also, did I lose my guy? Is he still here? He's still here. Okay. I lost him on my screen. So I apologize for that. Um, and then we just got, you know, it's Masters, man. Masters start tomorrow. And we got a great guest for everybody. So uh, let's just recap here, Jason. Uh, first, let's dive into Sunday. You had the Women's National Championship, LSU with a big win over Iowa. What's your overall quick thoughts on that game? having some technical issues. Pulled the surprise up there, there on the final four. You got me back? I got you back, man. We lost you for a second. Right. And hey, that happens. Hey, do that recap one more time because I know it's probably <laughs> fantastic. No problem. I think what you saw was the better team won. There's no question about that. I, you know, I think you saw how much Iowa actually got carried by Caitlin Clark. I mean, they didn't even finish that highly in the Big Ten season. So uh, they kind of ma- matched up against a better team. Kind of put the semifinal win over South Carolina in perspective, that was a bigger upset than it looked like when you watched the game um, because Caitlin Clark basically carried the day there. Uh, I thought the stuff at the end was kind of Bush League with the taunting. The first one was funny when she did it at the foul line. She kind of got her back. But when she followed her around the court when she just won a championship, I was kind of like, come on now, what are you doing? Like, you just literally won the national title. And uh, so, but apparently – they're good with it, good with each other. So I guess we're making too much of it. I guess that's what people do on social media these days. Uh, the officiating was the bigger disappointment in the whole game. Uh, you know, one thing they don't talk enough about with women's sports is that the officials they get are terrible. <laughs> and it, it's plagued this game for 30 years now. It's truly what's holding the game back. And they would never do it. But you literally think about maybe if they had a common pool of referees between the men's and women's game. I know the rules are completely different, but 
they need something like that because you see it in a lot of you see it in girls sports in the youth level and you see it in women's sports at the college level that they just don't get the same level of officiating and officials in the game and it hurts the sport yeah you know i i went two and oh on that game so i i it, it was a great game a lot of action i mean they lsu i think scored 102 points and the girl from iowa was just unbelievable the entire tournament there and so good direction for women's basketball i think they're going i agree with you you know the officiating was <laughs> it was a little iffy early wes reynolds from visa had a great um on twitter and he said I think the moment's catching up with a lot of people here. He's like, the refs are struggling. The scorekeeper's struggling. There's a lot of eyes on this game. So let's get it together here. And uh, they did. And yeah, you know, it, it's too bad that that happened at the end there uh, with the controversy. Like you said, I think they are okay with each other. And, um, you know, a little flash is not bad, but... How it was done there at the end, I don't know about that, but we'll move on here. All right, let's go to the guys' game Monday night. You had UConn winning the national championship over San Diego State. And Jason, you know, you had, you know, like to our audience, we text each other. Man, it's sometimes it's like 100 times a day between the guys here on the team at Notebook <laughs> Wagering. And Jason, you know, said, when's this going to happen in this game with San Diego State that they can't make a shot. And it was kind of, you know, they came out okay. I mean, I, hey, listen, I had a really good college basketball season, but I didn't do very well on Monday night. I was 0-3 because I had them. I had a teaser with the under, and then I, I jumped on alive at 14. I think I got them at 14 and a half. And, I mean, it got down to five, but – got ugly quick but but jason said you know you know this is going to happen with um hey there's maddie right there coming in here you got to love getting more people on the team here tonight but jason you said you knew it was going to come that they just were going to miss shots and and it came kind of early i think they missed 14 in a row what's your overall thought on the game yeah, I mean, if you've listened to anything with Beeson with Paulie Howard, he's talked all year about how San Diego State goes through these droughts, and he's not wrong. Like, every game you watch them through the tournament, they did the same thing, where usually in the first half, there was like a 10-minute stretch where it looked like they forgot how to shoot a basketball. And, you know, they're running their offense, they're getting good looks, just nothing goes down. And you're in the championship game against UConn, just playing about as well as anyone possibly could at that point. You just can't afford to give that lapse, and that's really what the difference was in the game. They could just never climb that hill. Yeah, I was looking into it for a live bet. I thought, we, you know, you'd have that San Diego State law. Then you'd have them kind of come back like they have in all these games because they do play good defense. They usually get a few stops, and stops are the keys to all runs in basketball. But uh, they really just couldn't do it. And uh, like you said, got down to six. Looks like we had we had a ball game, and UConn hit a dagger three right away, and then it was kind of never that close again. So, I mean, it was the best team won. I mean, I know it may be not the best team for the whole season, but over the last, since February 1st, that's been the best team in basketball. And so they deserved it. Matty, what did you think about Monday night? Uh, um, I liked it. Uh, I won a little bit of cash on it. I wasn't a fan of the matchup. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but I don't think that San Diego State deserved to be there because they played good enough to win and get there. But they were not even remotely close to as good as the other teams that should have been there. I mean, they just got hot. They won some games. They uh, a foul call against Creighton got them a win. Just it, they they didn't have a score. Matt Bradley is their scorer, but he's not a scorer. Would he even start on UConn? He might be their first guy off the bench. Mm -hmm, exactly. It, it's just it, they were outmatched, and UConn came in super high. 
I personally was not high on them because I, I thought they turned it over too much. And then just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like the unknown with them. We didn't see them play as much. But then when you watch them play, man, did they just, everybody moved. They distributed the ball so well. And Hurley did a great job coaching them. I mean, the big guys underneath, perfect. They were a perfect combination this year. And Smitty, and like we said, we talk offline so much. Hawkins is basically Rip Hamilton, Ray Allen in a nutshell, just the newer version of it. He was the best player on the court. I know he didn't win player of the tournament or player of the Final Four, and it was Sonogo. Who deserved it? Because he was rock solid the whole time. Hawkins actually was pretty four in the first Final Four game because of his health. But, yeah, it, it, I'm glad I laid the points. I'm glad I took the over, which was a sweat. But, it, yeah, it, it wasn't. A, I wasn't even really into the game. I really didn't care for either team, and I thought it was going to get ugly, and it did. Yeah, I, I think if you look at UConn last year, very similar team. You look at them this year, Hawkins was the difference. Like, they finally had a guy who could go get them a bucket when they needed a bucket or could get a, that dagger three. When you watch them play in New Mexico State, I think we talked about this last podcast last year, you saw a really good team that just couldn't score, and they couldn't get a basket when they needed one. And this year, they had a couple guys that could fill it up. They did really good in the portal, too, to kind of subsidize their offense, and it, it showed. Do you agree, Smitty? Yeah, you know, they just had, like Maddie said, you know, Bradley, I think he was 2-9, and 0-4 oh from three-point land. I mean, it's just, you're not going to win. The team shot 32%. They shot 26% from three-point land. I mean, it's it was, you know, Danny Hurley said it doing the interview right before, you know, going into the locker room. He said, we should be up by 20. And they should have. They really should have. I mean, that, that could have been a blow. I felt like, wow, I s- still have slightly a chance. Wasn't feeling great about it but to maybe get a winner there. Um and then, you know, again, it's what San Diego State has done most of the tournament. They came back, they got it down, and it was like, Jason, you made a great point. Hawkins hit that key three because I think it was down to like five points. And then he lit it up and you were like, yeah, this one's over. And, I mean, you just can't have that. I mean, they had just so many guys. I mean, you know, I think Hawkins had 16. Newton had 19. Um, the big guy underneath that was the MVP had, I think, uh, 17. Dominated the rebounding. And they shot well from the free throw line. You know, that we said that going into the tournament is key, is guard play and shooting free throws. And they shot 88%. So, you know, I think Matt said it. Are they, were they the better team? Yeah, I mean, they were, they were a good team. And they were a great team because they were 6-0 and ATS in the tournament. So that's always a nice thing uh, with that. Uh, real quick, uh, I, can you, let's just play for fun. Do you think Florida Atlantic would have gave them a better matchup because of the big guy in the middle and the way they actually, uh, it's not that they defend better than San Diego State, but I thought they matched up better than what San Diego State did overall. Do you think it would have been a better game if FAU was in the final? Oh, man. Jason, why don't you go? I, I'll i let you go. I actually do. I do because I think, Matt, you kind of hit on it, is that they had smaller guards, but they were probably a little quicker, and I think that their quickness would have been an advantage. San Diego State kind of matched up size-wise, but UConn's a huge team, so it wasn't really a big problem there, right? You, you basically had two similar speeds. Florida Atlantic could have played faster with smaller guys and maybe gave them a little problem. Could have went four guards because as long as you you can guard Jackson at the offensive end with a guard because even though he's like a forward swing type, he's not an offensive player. So you can kind of take a little advantage there. So 
they could have maybe spaced out a little bit better. And Golvin, he would have been overmatched because there was two bigs for UConn. But I think they would have been a little more adventurous. One thing with San Diego State, they're just too vanilla on offense. Like, you know, when the offense goes cool, they run the same plays over and over again. I don't think you would have saw that out of Dusty May. I think you would have saw him um, kind of change it up and go. And they would have, they would have been at least um, a little more feisty. Like I said, the quickness would have definitely been an advantage. Yeah, you know, in my opinion, I kind of agree with you. San Diego State, though, was a heck of a team. I mean, really good defensively, tough team, great coach. I really like the head coach, but I kind of agree with you. But I think if you guys, if you really look at this tournament, though, and this is a great thing when it's done, is you look back at this and you go, how many of these teams that got really far could have lost? I mean, break this down really fast. San Diego State was in a really tight game, game one. They could have lost in game one. Let's be honest, because I, I was on Memphis Memphis against Florida Atlantic, and that, <laughs> that didn't turn out great for me, but that was a, a loose ball with Memphis had it, or no, I, who had the ball? I think Memphis had it, and they called a timeout. No, Florida Atlantic had it or something like that. It was crazy. I mean, it could have went either way there. Memphis could have been shooting free throws, and they could have won the game by. So Florida Atlantic could have been out of this in the first round. Then, you know, you look at a team like Miami, and Drake Drake had Miami beat. He did. And then Drake just fell apart. So, you know, UConn was one team. And I think, you know, listening to some other shows, they – I think St. Mary's had them down by one, I believe, in that game. So, you know, and then they really put it on there in the second half on them and stuff. It's like you guys said. I mean, I think that's a neat thing when you look back at it and going, man, how some of these teams that really went far, man, it's 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 close. I mean, it's it's the ball tips in one way sometimes for a reason and it's really close. So now it was overall, it was a really good tournament. Um, I kind of agree with Maddie. It was kind of the national championship game and I'm not trying to say anything about San Diego state. Cause I do like San Diego state. What's your overall thoughts really quick. Cause I had this, I want to get your guys opinion on this. The girls game started weird time. It was like three 30 and then, and then that game's like nine twenty before it's really tipped. I mean, what's your overall opinions on these times with these national championship games? I don't understand the three o'clock start for the women's game on the Sunday. That could have easily have been a seven o'clock start, and would have got a little more national audience. Uh, the nine twenty starts kind of traditional, but it is you know you don't see that anymore. I mean, Monday night football used to start at nine, but you just don't see it anymore. I know you want to get those West Coast viewers. But uh, I guess it's worth it. So, I mean, but, yeah, it is, it's tricky on the East Coast. It was definitely a lot of sleepless uh, of basketball. I'm glad to get some rest here and go to bed at a normal time. What do you think, Matty? I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't mind the men's time, the women's time. I mean, they got so much exposure in the Iowa-South uh, Carolina game. I don't know why they wouldn't have repeated it and just put it back to a, a big-time event, but I think it still got good numbers. Um, oh, it got great numbers. Yeah, it was high scoring. I, I didn't really watch it. I had it on in the background. I've been sadly too much work, 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 and nonsense. And but yeah, uh, the men men's game I'm actually really fine with because I actually used to go out with all my buddies all the time. We'd meet down at the uh, South Side and have a couple beers and watch the game on a Monday night. Get out of the house. Yeah, but we're getting older. 
each year. <laughs> you know, it wasn't bad back in the day. You know, it, no, let me bring, because I bring my dad into this sometimes. And, uh, you know, the next day I call it, I go, well, you know, it's kind of what you thought. And he goes, yeah, I didn't watch much. He goes, I was out. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, luckily I was on spring break. So, I mean, there's been some times that, you know, when I'm working, it's like, oh man, this like, and you can't, and you can't miss the game. I mean, geez, we've gambled it all year and you know, you've watched so much. I mean, it's like, you got to stay up and it's, uh, but, but, um, no, again, I, I wouldn't mind it a little earlier. The girl, the girl's game was weird to me. Cause I thought it was, it usually is like a seven o'clock. And then luckily, yeah. I think I saw somebody post something about it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Because I, again, I called my dad and I said, hey, check this girl out. Like, at LSU is a good, a good team. They have some really good players. It was entertaining. I mean, I watched because I had a ticket on South Carolina to win it. So that went down in flames on uh, Friday night. Um, and that team's just really good. But but that was a weird that was a weird game too. I mean, they just couldn't shoot jumpers. It was everything off the glass and putting everything in. But that girl is really changing the college uh, girls game. So good for her. Smitty, did you say South Carolina couldn't shoot jumpers or didn't shoot? Well, jumpers? well that should have been that would have been the better. They they yeah. didn't. Yeah. Way to way to correct me there. They did yeah. not. That point guard. I said to somebody. I said. She might can she she it has been told not to shoot or is the worst shooter maybe in the game because they were yeah. leaving her wide open and she just didn't want to they do were it. Leaving, they were leaving three shooters wide open. It was it was doubled down on each block and uh Kate and Clark in the middle just roaming around. It, it, they had no fear of the outside shooting. That's on Dawn Staley. That's not on those girls. That you you one I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure these girls can shoot. One, teach them to shoot if they can, because that's a 16-foot jumper. That's a basic in, in basketball anymore. Or two, you still had the size advantage and we're getting fouled left and right. Keep dumping it down. They went away. I don't know. That's that's all Don Steele to me. That, uh, South Carolina should have been the national championship on town alone. But, hey, we saw what happened. Congrats, LSU. That's why you play yeah, the game. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's funny. I don't know much about the women's game, but I do know that South Carolina constantly has players. They, the way they play, they do not take those outside shots. UConn is taking advantage of that. Uh, most of the teams they played against, and they're so good in the post that they get away with it. But it's like space out, get some shooters. I mean, that post was the best player in the game, and you know she basically got completely double covered without the ball the whole game, which is insane. It just didn't happen at that level. I mean, I think they they out rebounded Iowa by. 20, 22, maybe? They had more offensive rebounds than Iowa had rebounds. Yeah, nuts. And, and and you lose the game. Yeah. All right, let's move on here. We got a little bit before our guest comes on. Let's talk Major League Baseball. We're about week in right now, and I think two of us are a little happy. One's not going to be happy with where his team is right now, but it's early in the season, and I think that team's going to rebound pretty well here. But, guys, I want to ask you, overall – What's your thoughts on the pitch clock and just some of the new things they've brought into the game this year? Uh, Maddie, what's your overall opinion on it? it? This is so cliche to say. I love it, but I hate it. Um, I like that the games are sped up. I hate how enforced this is. Like, there's no leeway. Uh, Manny Machado was going to call time to an umpire. No, he gets rung up on strikes. I mean, come on. I, I get it. Like, you're trying to speed it up, but you got to give these guys a little bit of a break. There is 
there is some baseball minds still at work here trying to grind out, hey, what pitch is this guy going to throw next? Or can I get a sign from the third base coach in time? And now i got to hustle back to the base. And It's great for the casual fan watching because they think the game is now a two-hour game and, and works like that. But for us as idiot betters and baseball degenerates, we don't care if the game goes three hours and 40 minutes sometimes or three hours, whatever it is. I just want a good baseball game, period. So I, I do like it because it speeds it up. And I don't think it's affecting the offense as much as we thought it would, especially early. They're, they're, the ball's flying out of the park still, and guys are hitting. Um, our guest, Josh Towers, said it might favor the pitchers. I mean, it looks like it's actually favoring the stud pitchers out of the game. Yeah, but these four and five starters. Oh man, we have some, we got some real uh, jokesters out there right now. So I'll turn it over to Jason. <laughs> I like it, and I like it. I mean, it looks more like baseball. I mean, the game's moving. I, you see runners moving because of the bases, which I like. You see, with the reduced shift has actually brought back like infielders having to play hitters differently and kind of be able to cover ground and have to make a decision whether they're going to cover the bag or cover the hole, which we haven't seen in like 10 years since the, the shift came in and kind of ruined all of that. Um, so I like all of that right now. I, like I said, as long as you know we see ground balls and we see balls in play, I'm all for it. Like you know, It does seem like pitchers are making a few more mistakes with the rushing, so you're actually seeing some balls get hit. Um, you, like, like Matty said, you are seeing guys. The biggest thing I think you've seen so far, and I don't think Josh really touched on this, is that you know he was a guy who worked fast, so I don't think he can relate. But a lot of pitchers like to slow down when guys get on base a lot. The Phillies, I think this is really bugging them because they're a, typical, a slow staff to begin with. If you look at their numbers on StatCast from last year, they've gotten some jams. They've played some decent offensive teams so far, and those pitchers can't get in their comfort zone of like slowing the game down and making each pitch count, and I think it's really bothering them. And I think those guys will adjust, and I think they may even adjust the clock after they see it because they're seeing probably too good of results right now. But I think just overall, everybody seems pretty pleased. I want to touch on that real quick. Great point. Um, so the Phillies, my squad, really seem unprepared with this pitching thing. And I've already heard everywhere they go now, on the road, in their own bullpens, practice facilities, whatever, they've installed pitch clocks now everywhere because these guys were not prepared, especially Aaron Nola. I mean, and it's showing. They're like, he's, he's scuffling bad. And uh, it's not like he's tipping his pitches, but it's like he's – Way too worried about now this guy on first. Now he has five seconds to process, and i got to get home with this pitch. I can't throw over. Yeah, he, he looks flat. So, Smitty, I'm not worried about the Phillies. I'm actually just glad baseball is back. Just get me through this work week. Let me grind it out, and then I'll start to get worried. Yeah, you can't panic. When I looked into this, the one of the teams that I actually I saw that was actually a, the quickest working team last year was the Pirates. And I don't know if that's a benefit to them right now or not, it's something I have to go back and look, but they had a staff that actually worked fairly fast, and they're four and two right now. They've gotten some really good outings of their younger guys. I don't know if they just have coached them up that way to work quickly, but you see the benefits, and I do think you'll see that transition here in the next month. But I think it'll even out. I I read an article by Mark Bradley in the Atlanta Journal Constitution on Monday. And he posted the Braves Nats game on Saturday was two hours twenty seven minutes. Sunday was two hours seventeen minutes. And then he went into about the one thing I like, guys, I like how they're stealing bases. Now, yesterday it went against me because I had the Padres in my um, money line best bet that I gave out on Sharp Angle Syndicate. And they it was up 5-1 and then the bullpen blew up. 
and they're squeezing. I'm talking to my dad and he's trying to talk to me. I'm like, you know what? I, I got to get off. I got to get off the phone because I was ready to throw my phone through a wall. So um, with that, but he really went into stealing bases. I mean, this this goes back to like watching the Little League or Teener League here, man. These guys are gunning all over the place. But he had a great stat in this article. Now, this was a Monday article. Baltimore had 95 stolen bases in 162 games. In three games, they already had 10. I really like that. I mean, this kind of goes back. What did we grow up watching? Ricky Henderson, Vince Coleman, Kenny Lofton. I like it, man. Get steal some bases. What's your, go ahead. We use we use the stupid analogy of uh, Nintendo RBI baseball, where you playing with the '85 Cardinals was like the greatest thing ever because you could just steal McGee, steal Coleman. It's it was the Ricky Henderson triple with. Two or three guys. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Hur. Tommy Hurd laid down a butt. <laughs> now, I, looks like, uh, I, I love it. I mean, I really do. I like the movement here. Um, you know, the overs the other day was like 13, one and one. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, there's a lot of action. I mean, when your team doesn't win, it stinks. I mean, Boston coming in, I think it was 4-0 to the overs in the first game with the Pirates went way over. Now the last two, I think, went under in that. So, uh, it's but it's entertaining. I really like it. Yeah, on a from a betting perspective, though, Snake, um, a lot of the decent guys and other people listening to on podcasts are saying the the uh, casinos, websites, everybody, the books are already starting to catch up, though, at the overs. They've already oh, yeah. kind of got it built in. We're going to see way higher run totals than nine and a half and ten uh, game totals are already popping up. So a lot of double digits coming up for the summer. Yeah, I mean, we got like another minute or two before our guests come on. You know, Tampa's out to a really good start, 6-0. and oh. I mean, they played the Nats. I mean, Patrick Corbin. I mean, oh, good Lord. I mean, just fade that guy. I mean, I'd be fading him every – I can't believe that guy's still pitching in the major leagues. But, uh, you know, Yankees off to a pretty good start. Seattle's a team. You know, Seattle was playing – I think they were losing again today against the Angels. Uh, they have two wins, and that was Castillo, the guy from the Reds that got uh, traded over. I'm 2-0 and on them. I've taken uh, that money line every time he's pitched. Um but is there a team you has jumped out on you guys that like it's a it's a fade or it's a play each day? Well, I'm just looking right now that the Diamondbacks are plus two on base runs so far, so they really should have one win out of their season total. So there's a team to kind of keep an eye on. That's going to normalize there, so that could definitely be a advantage. And uh, everyone else is kind of in line. It's a little too early still to get a good trend on all that stuff. But um, I, I got definitely one. the Diamondbacks. I think it's the Brewers. Um, they have a three-headed pitching monster in Woodruff, Burns, and Freddie Peralta's back, and his first outing looked really good. And I don't know if you saw their lineup, but they have some youngsters who are absolutely going to mash in that park. I believe it's Brian Anderson off to a tear. Nobody knows about this kid. Uh, they have another rookie. I, I, I wish I would have done more homework. They still have Yelich. Willie Adamas can hit the ball. I don't know. In a week, um, NL Central, I'm, I'm going to look to start uh, betting on the Brewers and betting their overs, especially when they're at home. That ball seems to be really jumping out of that park early. All right, I think we got our guest here. Uh, I think we're having some technology issues here with the video, but hopefully we have them. Brady, are you with us? 
Yeah. Uh, okay. I see. Look, there we go. Got hey, there he is. Hey, there he is. That little, uh, little button oh, with a camera. There he is. <laughs> hey, Brady. We are excited to have Brady Cannon. I mean, this guy is right now doing everything. Heat Strokes Pod Golf Podcast just came out last night. I mean, you're writing for everybody right now. Golf Bet, Golf.com. Man, you're a busy man. How's everything going for you? It'd be amazing uh, what you can uh, what you can do when you're out of a job, right? <laughs> uh, no, actually, quite honestly, it's all really good. And uh, are we on air right now? I didn't yes, know. yes, we are. Okay, yes, we are. I, I apologize. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, no, in, in all honesty, I, I had five and a half years of an incredible time in my life with VSIN and I owe them a ton of credit for giving me, you know, some of the opportunities that I have now. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the areas that I'm writing, I'm writing for golf.com. I write for golf bet, which is the betting division for the PGA tour. That's really exciting. Do a couple articles for them per week. Uh, about three times a week, I'm on Sports Grid TV and Sports Grid Radio. And then, like you guys say, uh, I just kicked off the uh, Heat Strokes podcast uh, on Tuesday. Actually, dropped uh, late Tuesday night our first episode. So it took us a while to get the production together and everything. But uh, Matt Humans is my guest host on that one uh, for the first episode. That was a great way to kick things off. And of course, for Masters Week. So you know, and then uh, beyond all that, gentlemen, as you know, I make tea times for people coming to Las Vegas, too. So no rest for the weary. No, you're doing an <laughs> unbelievable job. So let's just dive right into it. I know the guys will have a lot of questions for you. My first one is, you know, the conditions have been the talk. And I just want to ask you, when you're preparing for this, and maybe you have some guys that you're really set on and you're ready to, like, put a bet down on and then you kind of see the conditions um, again tomorrow sounds good friday's a little rainy then saturday's really rainy and cold how does that really i mean just explain your handicapping with this it's tough guys and you know it's almost an afterthought at least for me you have to start where you start your process you know every week and you're looking at what skill sets you think are going to be most important at this particular golf course, at this particular tournament, and, and you go through all that. And then, you know, you don't really know when the pairings are, are, are going to be until pretty late in the game. That usually comes out, you know, maybe late Tuesday afternoon, uh, early Wednesday morning when you're able to see kind of the draw between the early wave and the late wave. And, and then sometimes, like I think we may have here in the case of this Masters, uh, you'll you'll have a draw bias, if you will. It, it looks like the late early draw, those that are teeing off late on Thursday and early on Friday, may have an advantage because the kind of the first system of weather is supposed to come through a little bit later on Friday. I, I think kind of early afternoonish, maybe around 1 p.m. local time there in Augusta, Georgia. So the guys that tee off uh, late on Thursday. Thursday, we're not supposed to have any problems. 
Uh, it's going to be a little cloudy and really warm, which odd, close to 90 degrees. And then on Saturday, we go the complete other direction with all kinds of wind and temperatures in the mid to high 50s. You're going to see, I, I said it earlier on another show today, I think the winner of the Masters is going to indeed be a man for all seasons, uh, as we're getting about four of them here in four days in Augusta, Georgia. But uh, teeing off late on Friday shouldn't be any problem weather-wise and probably pretty comfortable scoring conditions. You may get a firm and fast golf course. That'll be Augusta's maybe biggest defense this week besides some wind and whatnot. But I imagine it's still going to play relatively soft. Then you go back to the sub-air systems that they have, you know, where they can really suck the moisture out. And without a lot of moisture coming down to that point, they can probably keep that golf course pretty firm and fast on Thursday. But then the rain is supposed to come on Friday afternoon. So the guys that tee off late Thursday will go early on Friday and they can probably, for the most part, at least complete uh, the better part of their round before any weather starts to to fall in the area. And I think those guys have an advantage to kind of put a number up there before things get really crazy over the weekend. Brady, first, thanks for uh, matching my energy here with the green jacket. I got one. I even <laughs> went got with it. Shirt. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little bit different here. So. This is the smallest field for the major, and we all love to bet on this. So basically out of the gate, we can get rid of all the amateurs. We can get rid of the guys over 50. Uh, I know the international guys don't do as well at this as uh, typically the Americans and then the British do, but give me three names of some international guys that you're really going to keep an eye on this week. Uh, well, you know, I've actually got a few of them on my card and you're right, Matthew, you know, the masters in a sense is one of the easiest golf tournaments to predict. And it's not easy to pick who's going to win, but you have a very shrunken field. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the old guys, the former champions, the Sandy Lyles and Larry Mize, uh, the debutantes. We haven't had a first timer win here since 1979, the amateurs, you don't expect an amateur is going to win it. Uh, so, you know, you can almost eliminate half the field before we even get started, and it makes this about a 40-person tournament. So you have shrunk the field quite a bit as opposed to a normal PGA Tour week-to-week event where you're trying to pick basically from probably 100 to uh, maybe truly 130 or 40 guys that could possibly win. Now, that being said, you know, the international flavor, it, it used to be, pretty big with Seve Ballesteros and Bernard Longer and Jose Maria Olathabal and Nick Faldo. It has certainly been dominated by Americans recently. Uh, but I do have some international flavor on my card right at the top. I've got Rory McIlroy. In fact, I have less Americans on my card uh, than international. Uh, Rory McIlroy, uh, Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Rose, and Tommy Fleetwood. I'll give you four. You got one extra there for your money. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I'm a- I'm especially a fan of the uh, second one you put in there, so thank you for that. So, Brady, uh, you walked into your oh, sorry, you walked us through your process. How did you uh, factor in the live guys this year? Considering the courses they play are different than usual, and the format that they play in is very different than what you see on a week to week basis on the PGA Tour. Yeah, you know, I I didn't land on any live guys, and I wasn't necessarily eliminating them just you know out of principle or, or you know from the from the get-go, I was still going to go through my process. And if any of those guys popped up uh, and I thought were worthy of a play, I, I wouldn't be afraid to act upon it. 
I did go against one live player in a head-to-head matchup. I took Jason Day over Cameron Smith in a battle of Australians there. And I think there's really probably two live players, maybe two and a half, that, that have a chance to win this thing, and that's Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith, and Brooks Kepka. You guys probably all saw the Netflix series Full Swing. I didn't think that was a good look for Kepka. He doesn't look focused on his game. It looks like he's still injured. Um, he did, of course, win in Orlando last week, and I think that's given a lot of people hope. But, you know, I think my general thinking on the Live Tour is it, it's an exhibition, and they don't have the same type of pressure or, or workout regimen, I imagine, that the guys on the PGA Tour do. I mean, can you really imagine a Live player going to the practice swing and hitting 300 putts after a round that he was disappointed with? I, I just don't see the same sense of urgency and I think we can relate it to a basketball game, a football game, what have you. You talk about guys that, you know, work are working out in the off season and yeah, I'm in shape, coach, I'm in shape. But then there's game shape. They call it being in game shape, right? And I don't know if the guys on the live tour are truly in PGA tour major championship game shape right now because they because of what they've been doing for the last year or so. Then there's the other factor here with Dustin Johnson, who God bless his soul, I love him. He's really the only guy I miss. That, that went to the live contingent. Um, DJ, I think, basically was collecting a retirement package. He had done so many things and accomplished so many things in his PGA Tour career. He's won a Masters. He's won a U.S. Open. He's won, you know, dozens and dozens of tournaments, and he's collected a lot of money. And he said, okay, I'm going to grab a little nest egg here and walk off into the sunset. And he's always had this demeanor, but you know, all the, all the narrative of the live versus PGA and is Patrick Reed going to be all upset and he's going to, is he going to cause drama and this and that? I don't think DJ has ever cared and still doesn't care about any of that stuff. He just goes out and plays golf and that might give him the very best chance of any of the guys on the live tour just because of his attitude. I, I, I think you guys know DJ. He doesn't look like he cares about any of that stuff, does he? Brady. Brady, why should he care though? Look at look at his life. Uh, let's see. It's great. Exactly. Spot on. Right. You know what I was going to say, Matty, you know what I was going to say? Because he said, I miss him. I said, yeah, I do too, because I don't watch any of the live tournaments, and I miss seeing his wife on camera. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> so. I, would, I would be shocked if in five years, him and Wayne are part owners of some franchise coming up. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. Uh I think Dustin's golf career is near the end. Now he's still one of the very best players in the world. And I I think he probably will have a good masters and and heck he could probably win it. I don't think he will, but I I think of all the guys in the live tour, uh, he has the best chance. And um, other than that, you know, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of drama and us versus them and the, you know, the, the rivalry, Unless we get uh, a terrific, you know, like a Patrick Reed and a Rory McIlroy in the final pairing on Sunday or something, then there's going to be some drama. But uh, otherwise, I think it'll probably be an overblown topic. No, I think you hit it really well. I've heard on some shows, Brady, with like Cam Smith, you know, that's one with the live that a lot of people were on. And then there was rumors that like his bags were in his garage and he was hanging out with his like mom and sister and just have, hasn't really played. So, you know, I think that's kind of got some people on, like some people on some of these shows said, I love these guys. Cause they're well rested. And other guys are like, man, they haven't played. So how are you going to handicap yeah. this? Yeah, no, I, I'm not buying the well rested thing. That's kind of the rest versus rust. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's probably more rust here. The, the other factor, we relate it back to football or other, you know, the, the big sports uh, outside of golf, baseball, basketball. You know how it is when a guy is in the last, in the final year of his contract. That's the year we'll usually see that guy shine. And then he gets all the money in the offseason, and the next year he often has a dead campaign or a dud campaign, I should say. Well, it's very similar. It's just human nature. When you sign for $50 million, $100 million, are you really going to be as motivated as you were before that? So I, I think it's hard for these guys to feel the same sense of urgency uh, as, the, as the other guys on the PGA Tour who clearly by staying there, their motivation has been, has been to win major championships and win on the PGA Tour all along. Brady, my second... Brady. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead uh, okay, real quick. Uh, the par fives here are just so key. Uh, you know, how did that go into your handicapping here? I mean, do you need a, you just need some bombers off the tee here or just even the second shot, the approach is so important here. What's uh, what's your overall thoughts on the, these par fives? Well, you nailed it on a couple of points there, the par fives and the approach shots. Uh, absolutely a couple of the very most important statistics I looked at this week. Uh, I'm trying to recall off the top of my head the top five statistics I looked at this week. And, and the Masters has changed a little bit. Back in the day, really prior to 2008, 2008 is when they kind of tiger-proofed the course, if you will. Before that, it was really primarily bombers that had a huge advantage, but now it has become a second-shot golf course. Bombers still, you know, that you, you want to have length. It's over 7,500 yards. Um, but it has become more of a strokes-gained approach as the priority statistic for winning the Masters. So strokes-gained approach Strokes gained around the green, which is, you know, kind of the more modern version of scrambling, which has always been a, a very crucial statistic around Augusta National. So strokes gained around the green, scrambling, strokes gained approach, uh, strokes gained par five. And I'm trying to remember the other one, if it was bogey avoidance, I, I can't, oh, driving distance. In fact, driving distance. So, so length off the tee was probably you know a while ago the the number one or the number two stat you wanted to look at now for me it's number five where scrambling is probably still kind of there in the middle and approach has gone to the top of the board um the par fives here at augusta national if this, if this weather that's supposed to happen and again it's supposed to happen on friday afternoon if we get that you're probably not going to be able to reach every single one of these in two shots where you normally would be able to, uh, you know, on a sunshiny day in Augusta, Georgia. And that's really going to uh, be a disadvantage for the shorter hitters here because they won't get as much run out if the fairways are soft and wet, and that'll give the longer players in the field a huge advantage. Uh, also, the 13th hole has been extended by about 35, 40 yards. And if you guys have seen any pictures of that tee box, you used to get up there and it was just wide open and you try and play it out to the right and have it kind of feed down the hill there. And you try and end up with a somewhat flat shot into that green, a par five and guys were hitting six or seven irons. Well, now you're back. Not only are you back 30 or 40 yards further, but they've created a shoot. It's just a funnel of trees. You have to uh, hit your ball through there on 13th tee, quite a narrow shoot, similar to maybe the 18th hole. So that adds a level of difficulty. You have to rely on more accuracy rather than just power and distance. You can't just blow it out there and don't care where it lands. Uh, and then you're going to end up probably further on the right on more of a slope and less likely to get down into the flat area. 
and now you've got a three or a four iron off the side of a hill. You're probably going to see a lot more layup shots on 13 than you did in the past and probably a lot less eagles as well, especially if the rain comes into play. All right, Brady. We at, we at Notebook Wagering love what we call sticky notes. So I got one for you. So in the last 12 years, the betting favorite has not won this tournament. Now we have a three-way tie at the betting favorite for Scheffler, Rahm, and Rory. So if that stat holds up, who's winning it if those three aren't? Yeah, good question. Well, I, I hope it's uh, Speed, Speed now. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I mean, like, I'll go through. I, I have Rory. I, I do have one of the favorites. And, you know, I, I guess you could say he's truly the favorite. Uh, in, uh, in most shops that I've seen, he is the shortest price. Uh, Scheffler could go off as the shortest price. Um, I think Rory absolutely has a shot this year. I did play Speed and Finau, and Shoffley, Matsuyama, Rose, and Fleetwood. Um, you know, I, I, Rose and Fleetwood are obviously a little bit more longer shots and would have to probably have a little bit more luck go their way than the other guys. Um, but I feel pretty good about Spieth, Finau, and Shoffley. I, I think, you know, Jordan Spieth is what I call just a master savant. He finished second in his very first trip, and he won it in his second trip ever to this tournament and then finished second the year after that and has two third place finishes after that five top fives in a relatively short career. And his, his short game just seems to go to another level at this golf course. You saw what he did, the chip on the final hole, the first match at the Dell match play, just absolute miracle shots. Jordan Spieth can hit uh, in his arsenal in the short game. And like I say, it seems to even elevate at Augusta national uh, and then, you know, one of the or three of the areas that I really leaned on heavily this week were course history. This is the most predictable course as far as course history, the strongest of all the tournaments they play all year. Guys that play well here typically repeat that year in and year out more so than any golf course on tour. So I wanted guys that are established with a course history here and then also current form. And then also the correlated courses. I think you have some of the strongest course correlations this week. Riviera Country Club, the Plantation Course at Kapalua, uh, Southern Hills where they played the PGA last year, also Torrey Pines. Uh, and then um, I'm leaving one out that I can't recall quite off the top of my head right now. Another good one where you get a ton of crossover success at Augusta National and Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Tony Finau, all these guys exceptional at the correlated courses as well. We know how Tony Finau has just been a machine at Torrey Pines. Jordan Spieth has won at Kapalua, the Century Tournament of Champions, as has Xander Shockley. So these guys check so many boxes for me with course history, correlated form, and current form. They're all playing well. We talked about what Rory has done as of late, finished uh, or won the CJ Cup in the fall one in Dubai in January, just came off of a third-place finish at the match play. Jordan Spieth with a third-place finish at the Valspar. Tony Finau has not finished outside of the top 25 in the entire 2022-23 season. So, and, and Xander Shoffley, uh, Shoffley comes off of a nice finish at the Players' Championship, had a third at the American Express, a number of good outings leading up, and, and another good finish fifth at the WGC match play. So all these guys are hot. They, they're, do everything, they're doing everything right that I'm looking at coming into this tournament. So, you know, I, I mentioned Rory, but outside of the big three, it would be Spieth, Shoffley, and Finau for me. I don't know, Maddie. What do you think? Is Finau come off the no-fly list this week? 
No. Sorry, Brittany. <laughs> I have Tony Phenom. I know fly list. See? <laughs> I don't know. I, I hate to he finally play. started winning last year. You know, I know. He won that's, three times in 2022. That's the thing. Like he just to me is not a closer. I cannot, I cannot get on board with the Tony Finau train. I'm going to ask you one really dumb question though. If you, there's supposedly like a fun bet. I don't know if books even offer this or not. There is a bet of Bernard Longer to beat DeChambeau again. I guess it's kind of a running, <laughs> running bet the players. And I think Longer is 2-0 and in this bet. That is awesome. I hope he goes to 3-0. <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. Uh, that, that's, that's super, man. Now, I have not seen that one, but it's great. You love how the books get creative, especially for the big events, the Super Bowl, you know, all the crossover props. Um, head-to-head matchups, I've seen Sergio Garcia is a pretty decent-sized favorite over Tiger. I'd, I'd probably take a stab with Tiger in that one at around plus 110. Um, you know, here in, here locally in town, the Westgate Superbook came out with, uh, will a live golf, you know, a live player win the Masters? And the yes was 5-1, to one, and the no was minus 700. So another creative bet there. Uh, that these guys have taken advantage of the whole live PGA deal to to put some more offerings up on the menu. Uh, I did play uh, top Canadian. Uh, there's only four Canadians in this field. You've got Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes, Mike Weir. Mike Weir would qualify as one of the irrelevant guys for me. Mm-hmm. A- and then Adam Stenson. And I actually landed on Adam Stenson at 150 to one back in November to win the RSM Classic. And I- I'm going to play that hand again and see if he can come out as the top Canadian. I got him at plus 325. First round leaders, another, you know, exotic that's an absolute needle in the haystack. It's harder to pick than who's going to win the tournament outright. And I played three guys first round leader um, for very, very small amounts. Uh, Colin Morikawa, Jason Day, and Danny Willett. Uh, and I'll go a step further with Danny Willett. I think he's kind of a sneaky guy that could that could fare well this week. His short game has really been on fire since his kind of resurgence to to good golf once again. You remember after he won the Masters in 2016, he completely fell off the map. Well, he's starting to play pretty well again. Nearly won in Napa earlier this year. Uh, in this field, over the last 36 rounds, he is seventh in the field for strokes gained around the green and eighth in the field for scrambling. Very good putter, obviously knows this place very, very well, having played it a number of times now. Uh, so Danny Willett might sneak into maybe a top 20, certainly a top 40 finish, I would bet on uh, Danny Willett. But I bet on him for a head-to-head matchup at minus 135 over Harris English and then also the first-round leader at 80-1. to Brady, do you have, what's your overall opinion on, well, let's just go, I mean, Tiger's still the big draw how would you play Tiger this week? And I'm going to also just throw in Phil Mickelson. Like, what would you do there? M- make the cut, miss the cut. Where's your play? You know, I, I know one guy we had, you guys uh, kindly mentioned our new podcast, the Heat Strokes podcast at the top of the show there. We had Rich Zanko on with his picks, uh, an odds maker here for Caesars in town. And he actually played Mickelson at minus 115 to make the cut. And I, I don't necessarily like to go against Rich, but – I'm not so sure. Mickelson has just been so awful. I mean, I think he's literally shot one round over par, or excuse me, under par, since his PGA Championship win. He, he's 
he's a little bit, not, not a little bit. He's a lot of a mess right now. I think both uh, physically and mentally, but you know, it's Augusta national. It's Phil Mickelson. Things could be different. And, and I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if he played pretty decent and made the cut. I don't expect much more than that. Tiger, I think will play better. In fact, there is a head to head matchup out there where Tiger is the favorite over Mickelson. And, and I think that's the right side. For Tiger, it all comes down to you know what his, what his, he is in a state physically, how how his legs are going to be able to hold up, and he was worse off last year physically than he is this year, and he made the cut last year. Uh, and, and you guys have probably heard this before. Augusta National is not a tough go- or not an easy golf course to walk. All kinds of hills, elevation change, and and, and slants, and you know where you've got to keep your balance and whatnot, and a lot of work on the legs. I'm sure Tiger will be re- uh, receiving therapy you know, before and after every round. Uh, but I, I think the best bet on Tiger is probably to make the cut. And, and I wouldn't try a top 20. Maybe if you can find a top 40, I don't know what the price is on that. But to make the cut, he was a pretty decent-sized favorite at about minus 150. And that was the price I saw hung here at the Westgate Superbook by one of the most well-respected golf odds makers in Jeff Sherman. And, and I certainly respect his opinion. So if he's got Tiger at minus 150 to make the cut, I kind of tend to agree with him. Brittany, I got one more fun question for you. If we had to put odds, well, well, first let me preface this. Are you a golfer yourself? Yes, absolutely. I've been playing since I was about 13. Okay. So if you're on 18 with a full crowd out (laughs) ahead of you, what's the odds for you to hit a fan? <laughs> well, Greg Norman used to be my favorite player, and uh, you know he fanned one right into the gallery when he had a chance to upset Jack in '86, right? Yep. Um, I could see myself doing the same thing. No, yep. uh, <laughs> gosh, you know it, it, it'd be—I I did have a moment like that, guys. It's so hard to, you know, a- ask yourself what would I do in that moment because we're so so far removed from that. But I did have a moment here uh, in 2011 where I won the member guest at my local country club. And I remember coming down the stretch and feeling that pressure and trying to do my breathing and relax myself. And it was something. That, that was my moment of coming down 18. And no, I didn't hit, hit a fan. We went on to win the thing. So there you go. <laughs> that was a good question, Matt. <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, I got one. I also want to point out, I gave you your first five-star review on heat strokes this afternoon as i listened here preparing for this show so you can find that podcast on anywhere you listen to podcasts we'll make sure you get another plug in there for them because you know enjoy your work and matt human so um what do you think so here's the question too we always throw out there what would you shoot at augusta have you ever played a course at that level or at least close and could you like correlate what you think it would translate to at augusta yeah, I, I have played uh, certainly a handful of courses that they use on the PGA Tour. I mentioned the RSM Classic. I've played Sea Island in St. Simons Island, Georgia. I've played uh, Harbor Town in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I've played the Plantation Course at Kapalua many times. Um, the Plantation Course is actually not that difficult. You see the pros take that one down pretty handily into the neighborhood of you know 25 under par over four days if the wind doesn't blow. Um, sea Island, I, I shot a good score as well. I think I broke 80 there or maybe shot right around 80. Uh, Harbor town's tough. And you know, one thing I, I played actually Maya Coba in Riviera Maya near Cancun. I played that course. That, that course is pretty tough as well, but in playing these courses, it has given me some insight into the handicap. 
Harbor Town definitely favors driving accuracy. Those are some tight windows there uh, in those fairways and just an absolutely wonderful course. Augusta, you know, wider fairways so I could spray the ball around a little bit. Um, I am a pretty decent putter. I don't know if I could handle the putter, the putting <laughs> speed of those greens, but I'm sure I, I, I'll say I'm sure I'd break a hundred and, and, and I'm not, you're not going to force me to play the tips. That's a whole different story. <laughs> I'm going to play the, you know, the, from somewhere around 6,600 yards, I could break uh, break 100 and maybe, I'd say I'd probably shoot around 90, maybe 88. I'd be real thrilled if I broke 90 at Augusta. That's fantastic. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. I don't even want to talk about what I'd cheat there. But, uh, hey, Brady, thank you so much, man. We know you're extremely busy. Do you want to plug anything before going off with us? Well, you guys are so kind, man. And I, I really have to commend you for kind of the team effort that you guys have put together and you keep after it week in and week out and you collaborate there with Ryan Hyatt. I know he's another big fan of Beeson and all the work that all of us have done, all my former colleagues and friends have done. And you guys are right uh, in that same spot as well. So congratulations on, you know, your support and, and all the support that you've gotten in return. I appreciate you guys continuing to reach out to me to have me on the program but uh yeah the heat strokes podcast that's the the latest project the website is deadheatgolf.com and of course you can find it wherever you get your podcast and then you can just find my work at sports grid sports grid tv uh golf bet at the pga tour and golf.com and uh, right here of course on the uh, notebook wagering podcast on occasion. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it, man. We're big fans of yours. So thank you again for coming on and take care. All the best guys. Thank you. Enjoy the masters. You Thanks, too. Brady. You too. Thank you very much. What a great guy. Good guy. Great. Just golf stuff, man. He's right on it every week. I really we got, enjoy hearing his stuff. We got three more majors to get him back on. Oh, we'll get him back on. So where, where are we going? We got about, let's, let's wrap up in like two minutes here, two, three minutes here. Where are we going here? Maddie, uh, Jason, I have not made any bets. I wanted to hear Brady stuff. I'll be very honest with you. You know, we've, we, we do a golf draft, all three of us here and we're in that. And, um, my brother-in-law sent me something, uh, a new thing that I did and I picked some players. I might change some of those up. I, I'm, I don't know if that was, uh, some gonna, of my players I, I really like, but, uh, Anybody have any plays yet? Yeah, I'll rattle off a couple quick. Um, I I actually am going to put money on Cam Smith. Um, I actually just think he's <laughs> he's just built for the course, and he is such a good putter that that's kind of an equalizer. So if he's got a little bit of rust, he still knows the course well. And then of course I look at stats galore, and the one who checks off every bucket, even though I contradict myself is Rom meets every freaking bucket possible. And one of the big ones is uh, strokes gain P to green, and they have it broken down over the last four tournaments for every golfer prior. If you're at 18 strokes gained for those prior four tournaments, you're the winner, and he checks that box off, and he's the only one who checks that box off. And I'm like, oh, man. But then it goes against the the betting favorite hasn't won it in 12 years and he's part of that crew. So I'm actually going to go a little, I'm going to go a couple longer shots and we do that golf draft. I do like Sung J M to sneak in. I do like Matsuyama to get up there and I'm going to go one longer. And Jason, and I've talked about it all the time. 
take a flyer on Min Woo Lee mm-hmm. to finish top twenty. I've heard I've heard his name on a lot of shows, Matt. Good call there. I, I don't think he's going to win, but uh, he's built for the course and he's young enough, fun enough. He's a really good Twitter follow too. So yeah, hop on board, give him a shot, take a little piece of money on him. There you go, Jason. You got anything in play? Yeah, I think I'm definitely. I'm going to look at Corey Connors, who's a guy I know that uh, we mentioned that you know he's he's not the top Canadian according to Brady, but uh, actually he's a guy who's played really really well. He's a guy I drafted, and it seems like he just kind of the course just suits his eye. And it seems like this is the most horse for the course course there is. And Brady touched on that. It really is like guys either really excel here or they just don't get it. And uh, I think he's a guy, for some reason, it just fits his eye. He's not the greatest around the greens or anything like that, but he's a great ball striker, and that's probably what suits him. I'll definitely put some money on him. Uh, I like Sanjay M as well. He's fortunate enough to draft him. I think he's a guy who's live with a little bit of juice, but I, I think favorites are going to be in it. I think this is the tournament where Rahm or McElroy really kind of need to step up because everything looks like this is all set up for them to, to do well. So it's time for them to beat Scotty. Hey, real quick, you just threw that name out there, which I'm going to throw out there. If you see Rory in 17th place to start off Sunday, throw some money on him to finish top five. Oh, absolutely. We and joke about that all the time. Great call there by Matt. I love it. No, I'm gonna put I'm gonna go home and do a little bit more homework. I'm gonna put it on Twitter tonight. And um yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I wish the conditions were better. So we get a lot of delays and everything gets pushed back. Um that's gonna stink. But uh it's just a fantastic tournament, so uh, good luck, everybody that's playing it. So, All right, guys, anybody have anything good for the group? No. Good to get golf season kicked off. Good to get baseball kicked off. We've, we've transitioned out of the winter sports. We are now officially into the spring sports. Yep. It's a, spring's on us. It's time for everything to get going. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs coming up. Can't wait. It's going to be great great about three months run here yeah college baseball too check out q's uh new new podcast a little bit uh college insiders there with uh matt uh it's very good uh check my plays out at sharp angle syndicate uh big winner today the brewers matt brought up the brewers man they tried to blow one but then they came back scoring a lot of runs there so we're doing a lot of things yeah the sports are fantastic right now so everybody enjoy it enjoy the masters best of luck hopefully you can um Catch some tickets this weekend, and until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes, and be sure to follow at Notebook Wagering. Until next time. All right, boys, I'm going to get back to work and get some on the east.